This week on Trek, Mary Kill, Ro, Ro Laren. Next. I have contacted Starfleet, and they're on their way. How did a changeling get aboard this ship undetected? They're hiding something. You must trust me. It's all so much worse than we thought. They're coming for us. What are you doing? We must run. Battle station. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. And hi, I'm Kat. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, a Star Trek podcast that has no idea what it's like for the episodes that we grade to live under our relentless judgment. Will we marry this week's episode? Will we kill it? Joining me to discuss the matter is Kat Spada from Feminist Frequency Radio. Kat, welcome. Hello. I am both grateful that we're not uh, on camera, that this podcast is an audio medium, uh, but also very sad that people can't see the pin I'm wearing which has a beautiful cartoon drawing of Riker and says, <laughs> set phasers to stunning. <laughs> <laughs> Riker, you magnificent bastard. Yes, oh, that's a wonderful <laughs> pit. Well, I'm a big believer in a no pants podcasting policy. So. It's perfect. I, I live in a two podcast household and uh, actually my partner is podcasting in the other room. So I am in bed right now. The perfect place to talk about Star Trek. Yes, we are also a DPNK household, dual podcast, no kids <laughs> podcast. And uh, uh, well, thanks for coming on to talk about this. I, I mean, I met you through Kristen and yes. and your Star Trek love it kind of precedes you in a way. Like you hear, I saw your eyes light up when Star Trek was mentioned and, and a kindred spirit, I could tell. So how'd you get into it? Well, uh, first of all, I'm glad to be here on a night when, when Kristen's not, because I do think I'm going to bring some of her same sensibilities. Wonderful. <laughs> of, um, <laughs> you know, I love to ogle the attractiveness of people in television shows. That's what they're there for. And also, um, uh, I'm going to have a lot to say about, about wigs later on, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because I feel like I'm sort of an undercover Trekkie. Like people don't necessarily um, think of it as like one of my first pop culture go-tos, but it's definitely like so ingrained in my childhood love and understanding of like television and culture. And I am so glad that I've had like a personal renaissance with Star Trek recently because I hadn't watched it for so many years, but I rewatched a TNG episode last night in preparation for today's conversation. And somehow in my mind, I was like, I thought that the next generation was on the air several years later than it was mm. because of like the period of my childhood that I deeply associate watching Star Trek mm. with. But that kind of goes hand in hand with over recent years as I've like, you know, watched a, an old ec episode here or there where I'm like, okay, I think of my childhood as a the next generation childhood, but my childhood was like a Deep Space Nine, the next generation reruns childhood, and then going to get the VHS tapes of the original series that had like three thematically similar episodes on them. Mm -hmm. um, so it was like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And 
a couple of years ago, there was a Star Trek exhibit at the Skirball Center. Did you go yes. to that? No, I missed it. It was incredible. Um, it's probably an exhibition that's traveled around. I mean, yes. I don't think, you know, yep. you could probably, I saw it at some point, elements of it in, at San Diego Comic-Con years ago. But I did go for the day when they were playing several episodes from different series. And at the time, I hadn't had Paramount Plus, so I hadn't watched, I still haven't watched Discovery, but I hadn't watched Picard. And they played the season one finale with a Q&A panel. So I watched the season one finale without having watched Picard. <laughs> all right. It's like, okay, all right. And then literally hadn't watched it again until binging the first two and a half seasons uh, for this episode. So, dedication. Yeah. I'm sure I said don't, you know, to worry with the first two seasons, but wow, dedication. Fantastic. I mean, I enjoyed them a lot. I, I guess, you know, they were very different because I was like, oh, this isn't serialized in the way that you expect a Star Trek show to be. And I'd already been watching, you know, Strange New Worlds. Um, so I was like, oh, cool. It's just like I get to watch an extra long Picard movie. That's how it mm -hmm. each season felt like. Yeah, I think that was the intention for sure. You know, the Skirball ex exhibition was planned for, I believe it was February or maybe even March of 2020. And I was Ooh. extremely excited because the model of the movie Enterprise, the Enterprise A, or from Star Trek Motion Picture, was going to be on display, the actual shooting model. And yeah. then the pandemic happened, and it was canceled. And then do you know what happened to that model? Jeff Bezos bought it. What? So it's not, it was not part of the exhibition no. when it finally happened. And I that's no. why I missed it is because I chose to miss it. it was yeah. like, well, that was why I was going. It's gone now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, you know, we, you work in TV. Like, I've worked in, ho in Hollywood, too. Like, there's not that much you per I get out of, like, seeing a costume on a mannequin. <laughs> yes. Know? Like, oh, oh my God. Yes. That's the real, that's the real chest plate that Ricardo Montalban sweated under. Like my mind is blown. Um, but it was still like, it just kind of reminded me like how Star Trek, like I, I know there are people who have an encyclopedic knowledge of it. I think you are one of them. To me, it really did all kind of blend together where I was just like, oh yeah, there's this these starships and they're all like I don't know exactly what time frame everything happens in but I when I think to my childhood and like watching tv almost 90 percent of it is like my sister's 10 years older than me so she was a teen and I was a little kid and she loved Star Trek and we watched together and I've had I probably like Riker and Deanna Troy are two of my early crushes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I know that my sister had like a massive poster of Beverly Crusher. So that's where her heart uh, was drawn. But it Wonderful. was just like, you know, that's how we that's how we bonded. And still like to this day, absolutely just like we'll watch Star Trek together. Oh, that's great. Uh, I was worried as I got as I've gotten older. I'll mention Star Trek here and there to my sister's. And I sent them a clip for something that happens later in the season, and I won't reveal it. We're trying to stay current. Uh, you know, we're not trying to tip the rest of the season. Right. But I sent it to them, and I said, "Hey, look at this," and I had a joke with it. And uh, the response I got back was very positive because I guess 
me watching it all the time, it still brought back positive memories of us growing up and all that. So it's nice that you're Star Trek bringing families together. Look at that. Totally. (laughs) Totally. This week we're talking about, or we're going to play Trek, Mary kill with imposters. The fifth episode of Star Trek Picard's third season it premiered on Paramount Plus March 16th, 2023, written by Cindy Appel and Chris Derrick, directed by Dan Liu, Memory Alpha Synopsis. Uh, you know what? This is the one where Roe comes back. Let's just say that. Forget the synopsis. <laughs> Roe comes back so that Picard and Riker think they have to face the music, and instead they're confronted by Roe, who uh, suspects that they are not who they say they are, and they are surprised to see her, suspecting that she is not who she says she is. Meanwhile, uh, Raffi and Worf are still on Metallus in District 6. And they're trying to get to the bottom of the station break-in. And after being denied by Worf's handler about investigating it, they decide to go off on their own to try to find uh, a crime boss who can help them on their way. And then Jack's hiding through the whole episode. But that's, that's an important part that we come to discover later. He's really good at sniffing out changelings. So- <laughs> We, uh, we also find out that changelings now are super, super duper good at, at mimicking the biology, at least of humans, and they can now pass the traditional screening process that Starfleet instituted during the Dominion War. One of those ones that we know, the familiar cutting the hand to show that you can bleed, they can now fake pass a blood test. So, um, Kat, I'm super interested to know what you thought about Ro Laren as a character growing up, or did she stick in your mind at all through your life? Brian... I didn't remember a single thing about Rolaren. You are following Kristen's footsteps perfectly right here. There's not a a millimeter of difference in the footsteps. (laughs) It's that blend of like, again, not really remembering which show was which when I was a kid. And like, I remember at, at some point I said like, yeah, I'm not sure if I watched that much Deep Space Nine, but I do remember that the Ferengis were like my favorite characters. And it's like, well, obviously then you were watching Deep Space Nine. Like that's Mm -hmm. where they were. So, but I am just like, oh, this is our girl from Battlestar Galactica. I loved her on The Killing. (laughs) Like that's, that was like my first thought. And then I had seen your show notes where you said, I'm still tingling from the experience of Roe returning. So I was like, okay, I need to go back and watch the penultimate episode of The Next Generation where she leaves. So I did watch that oh, after great. watching this episode. And it's awesome. It's a great, it's like a really good episode of Star Trek. Yeah. But I didn't really, I admit like everybody on Twitter and I'm, I'm haven't like finished watching season three. I figured we'd do this recording and then I could watch the rest of it. But everyone's been like, oh, the first two seasons of Picard kind of sucked. And now everything I wanted out of it is happening in season three. I kind of feel like a lot of the uh, returning character fan service stuff, because it's been so much more in this season, it doesn't necessarily have like the emotional peaks that it had in the first two seasons where you only got a little bit of it. So I have to say, like when she showed up, I was just like, yeah, great. She showed up. Like pressure's here, you know, great, cool. What's next? Like, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if it just like lowered the drama a little bit because I was like, oh, great. Yeah. I'm excited to spend the next several hours, like seeing my old faves, but, um, from like a particular, uh, recognition of this character, I, I had no idea who she was until I rewatched that, that great episode. Yeah. I get to crash course you in there. Please. (laughs) Well, I'm, 
How did she wind up on Battlestar Galactica? Because of what she did in The Next Generation. <laughs> right. That's the main thing to take away. She I mean, was now that in... we know canonically that Gaius Baltar is uh, Jean-Luc yeah. Picard's father. A younger version of his dad, which doesn't really work, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, season two is very much like just throw everything at the wall. And even if it doesn't stick, we're shooting it. Um, yeah. so, uh, but uh, Roe was brought in to shake things up. It was one of those, hey, our show's five years old and our characters are getting stale. We need a little something. We need a Cousin Oliver kind of character mm. to bring in here. But because the people making Star Trek, at least at the time, put a lot of thought into what they did, they really worked to justify what she is. What you know, She was the helmsman, so she was basically taking over a role that there was no main character or recurring character in that pilot seat. There used to be Wesley Crusher and... He was gone. So they're like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll put her in there. She was only in eight episodes of the next generation. And then she is gone. I think season six, she's in a little bit. And then she's not in season seven until preemptive strike, the penultimate episode. And her absence is explained. Yeah. She left to take a technical training and she's now a Lieutenant, but she, you know, she was in uh, disaster. Her first episode was really, uh, really compelling. It really set up the Bajorans and the Cardassians and that whole conflict, put a pin in that for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had sex with Riker when their memories were wiped and they were just attracted to each other and they didn't know their histories. Uh, that was in, oh, I'm going to be a bad nerd because I can't remember the name of it. It was the <laughs> one that was right next to Conundrum. So there we go. Uh, so there, you know, and she's basically, she was in cause and effect, just saying the same line over and over again when the Enterprise blows up all the time. Yeah. She's, she was distinct and, and it's, all because of Michelle Forbes. I mean, really, at the end of the day, these all all of these characters, for the most part, because Picard and Data, all of them have moments where they're very well written and distinct. But for the most part, the reason why all these characters stick in our mind like family is because the actors or friends is like the actors who play them brought an energy, a persona to them. And right. Michelle Forbes both stood out and fit in with what Star Trek was. Like she was supposed to be the the young upstart, you know, who, you know, didn't follow the rules or she had her she, you know, had her own opinion about things and she was very gruff. But it it fit. It like she wasn't just mimicking young Worf. You know what I mean? Like Worf right. was in the first couple of She was her own thing. And Michelle Forbes is an extraordinarily compelling actor. <laughs> so, you know, it, it helped that they brought in so someone with so much gravitas. And then I don't know if you remember this or knew this, but that was who they wanted to pair with Commander Cisco for Deep Space Nine. Right. And and Michelle Forbes was like, I don't want to do TV or I don't want to do Star Trek. I, I want to go do movies. And, you know, good for her. Yeah. Uh, but but that's how much she popped. And that's how much they how much they thought of her. And I'm pretty sure if there was reaction against her in the ongoing in the initial going, this could be revisionist history and I don't intend it to. But I don't recall feeling like fans were ever like against her, especially since she wasn't, you know what I mean? She wasn't introduced as like Ensign Rowe has all the answers or like, you know what I mean? Like right. the hot shot, they didn't turn into Cousin Oliver. But but the the producers liked her so much, they're like Deep Space Nine. And then she said no. And then Ron Moore was running Battlestar. And he's like, I, I, if I can get her, I got to get her. And she's like, it's not forever. Great. I'll do it. I just have to play the part I always play. Great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in with the attitude. So to what you were saying, like, oh, cool, all the faces are getting back together. There's kind of two things going on there. I really want to, as a person who's lived with the, rewatched it a lot, 
you know, and had it growing up. It's like, you always wondered what happened to her. You always wondered why would they not bring back someone so compelling whenever they could like get any mm. opportunity, not, not like to keep bringing her back, but like, why wasn't this ever revisited? This was so interesting. And uh, kind of what happens with Shelby and we've never seen Shelby, you know what I mean? Like there's just certain characters that you wonder about, uh, especially if you're like obsessed with Star Trek, there's certain ones. She was one of them. And the way they bring her into this episode, I thought was so clever mm. that it really, it, it, it makes the episode not just a reunion. Oh, cool. It's what right. we see. Well, that struck me. I mean, I watched, you know, maybe it was a bad order, but then when I rewatch her last appearance on The Next Generation and like, it's such a unexpected kind of ending. Like the fact that the episode just ends with like, this didn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. Um, that now I understand why her showing up and being like, the envoy from Starfleet would have been totally shocking to Picard. And in the moment when I was watching it, I was just like, cool, this lady. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, yeah, trust no one. That's what we keep hearing. <laughs> and yet here she is. She was definitely like so good in that, in that last episode where she's sent off. And one of those great, like political, how are you supposed to feel about this? How is Picard supposed to feel about this? And then the episode just ends with a uh, Riker standing there with a jaunty earring on. <laughs> uh, and the chest hair. Don't forget the, the open hair. shirt there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll never forget. I promise. <laughs> and so you're bringing in someone we haven't seen whom Picard hasn't seen in decades and has a, a gnawing, you know, a feeling that he's dragged with him through time, this anger and resentment and betrayal that he's felt. And you're plopping her into the story where you're learning that there are changelings <laughs> who are turning people. And the only way you can really suss them out, and as, as we find out now that they're even better at mimicking humans, the only way to figure out if someone isn't a changeling is to go deep with what they know about you. Right. So it's kind of the perfect person to bring in for this particular moment and then we'll get into a little bit more but i'll read this i've been pulling comments from collider interviews that terry metallis did uh, the day after episodes ran and on this point he's asked i'm curious to know were there any other characters that went up on the white whiteboard in the writer's room when you were trying to decide who this character would be that is the character who gives picard this whole data dump about there being a conspiracy and all that stuff Metallo says, no, the story was always Rolaren. The story was always the pitch that I had for it was how great would it be to do a paranoia thriller with someone that you have all this baggage with? The only way to be sure you're sitting across from the person that you hope you're sitting across from is to get through your trauma with them. I thought that if we could pull that off, we'd have a really interesting episode of television. But that required us getting Michelle Forbes and convincing the studio and the network it was the right idea and educating a lot of people on who Rolaren is. But no, there was never anyone else other than that. It was always Rolaren or Bust. That's the stuff that I appreciated. <laughs> and and it's great because like she has this complete arc in this story, which like, I mean, I'll say for, for when we talk about tropes, like one way that they fake you out all the time with like, oh, how high are the stakes? And with this one, it's like the stakes were com as high as they told you they were. Like she shows up. She accomplishes what she needs to accomplish. It's very tense. And then that's it. That's all we'll get. 
smell you later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So just a few more straight thoughts and then we'll get into the grades. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We hear the hourly, the ship's hourly chime from Star Trek six, just kind of in the background from, from the Titan, they recycled it just to remind you that the ship is also like a living environment. Uh, I thought that was nice touch. Uh, Sydney LaForge, who I love, but Mm. she changes her hairstyle after she sees the dead changeling that poses her in the previous episode. This is after she's at, she's at the autopsy and she pukes because Beverly asks her, can you identify that this is, this is a copy of you. It's not actually you. And she just throws up and then she changes her hairstyle because she doesn't want to be reminded of that. Uh, I should also mention that Jack's having a freak out in this episode because he's having intense visions of killing everybody on board and hearing a voice telling him to find us, connect us. And he sees a terrible vision in the transporter beam. We caught that something's going on with the transporters. And this seems to be more evidence of that. Kat, should we talk about the parallel structure now or later? I guess when I'm, did you pick up on what they do with Jack and Picard in the beginning and how it's mirrored by the Roe storyline? No, I didn't. Oh, well, then I'll mention here. I thought it was really interesting. So, you know, the, the setup of the episode is Titans made it out of its ordeal with the Shrike. Mm-hmm. Picard and Riker think that they're going to go to Starfleet they're, to face the music. And then Shaw comes in and tells them, hey, assholes, I already called them. They're on their way. <laughs> and and um, Picard has a conversation with Jack. He's like, now we got out of this mess. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with me, but maybe this is like a good time for you to like, figure out your priorities in life now everything's we're reunited we have a father we're all like a family maybe you would consider starfleet you know it's like an honest profession and it's like a you know it has a lot of it, it can take wayward people and reshape them and you know your duty can become your morality right is kind of his mm. pitch and then the whole rest of the episode is his protege or his daughter i think it works pr- in the middle, right between protege and like a, kind of a daughter between we're in he and space Rope. daddy's world and yeah, everybody. Space, yeah, that's fair. That's totally Everyone fair. So it's interesting that it is like a prodigal daughter, right? In a way. Yeah. So so it's it's an interesting mirror to see because her whole resentment is that you substituted morals for duty or you conflated them and you held me to these standards that you didn't recognize I don't totally buy into like I have my own beliefs and see me for who I was and you helped me to just some blank standard uh, so I and Jack's kind of trying to make that argument too at the beginning he's saying like he's like you want me to join Starfleet doesn't seem like you've been paying attention to who I am yeah there's only one path in in Picard's mind and it's it's like that's kind of a great example of you know a career like military type of guy <laughs> who yes. would be saying well this worked for me look how great it worked for me Right, exactly right. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the grades then. Oh, did you have any straight thoughts? This is like it does feel a little bit more pertaining, maybe to the previous episode. But I watched the uh, the Ready Room, like the Will Wheaton bonus yeah. episode thing, and he was talking to uh, Michael Dorn and Michelle Hurd, and revealed you probably already know this that uh michael dorn has been in more of the star trek series than any other actor and Worf has been in more episodes than any other character and i guess this you know maybe when it was going around the internet a couple years ago and michael dorn was like yeah it's it's almost like getting a ward and sort of recognizing like oh i did have a career (laughs) (laughs) and i thought that was 
so great, but also it was very touching to see Michelle Hurd, who was sitting next to him, who was like, oh man, I've gotten to become part of this family for the last three years after everyone's been in it for decades. And she's sitting next to someone she clearly very much looks up to. And the fact that he was just like, oh yeah, I guess, uh, I guess that makes me pretty special. And she's looking at him just like, you are <laughs> such an icon. <laughs> and, uh, and it was great. It made me appreciate even more the scenes where we get to have these two characters that we wouldn't necessarily have like thought oh I, I can't wait for the I'm not I'm writing the fan fiction of these two becoming friends um but now I I kind of felt a little bit differently about those scenes because it was like yeah like these are outsiders who get to uh band together and now we'll get to see what happens when our whole crew reunites yeah that's so funny that you mentioned that because I don't really like watching the ready room and because of the interviewer, but, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did watch that one because I really like Michael Dorn in general. And yeah, and you're totally right. I mean, I've been saying this, but I like Michelle Hurd. I totally get why she gets parts and I don't think she's been, her character has been written great. And so she's had to do a lot with a little and so I appreciate what she's doing. And then just seeing her behind the scenes being like, I'm committed to every second I'm here. If yeah. I'm conscious, I'm in it. I'm connecting to all the people around me. And I don't know. I like people who are present and, and are enthusiastic. And she has talent. So it's not like she's just like happy to be here. She's like she's given yeah. it her all. And, and the fact that she's connecting to people, I don't know. It's really it was genuine. That That's the whole feeling, right? It was just super genuine. And, totally. Uh, and Michael Dorn, Worf, great. It's just <laughs> so awesome. All right, great scenes. I'll, I guess I'll stay there uh, and say that I really thought um, the all the banter with the Vulcan crime boss uh, was really fun. So the kind of like, now we're here in Blade Runner City and we have to, <laughs> you know, have That's this right. like... <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to pretend that there's some sort of like, you know, you got to fight this. Like, who cares? That that kind of to me, I was like, I am not really following. I just want to see this great fight scene. But when they actually, you know, turn the tables and you get to have uh, the the logic off, but dealing with a crime boss, I thought that was uh, that was just a lot of fun. And um, and I appreciated that, like there was just enough of the humor that you need in a scene like that. Otherwise, you would be watching it and be like, oh, I'm going to give a swirly to every nerd because this is so silly. Um, but it, it's funny. And so I really appreciated the conclusion of that. Oh, good point. I like that you segmented it to that. Yes, <laughs> I'm with you on that. And I and you know what? To your point, the, the fight was cool between Rafi and Worf when they're doing it for real, full speed instead of their training. That was great. I have I have multiple, so I I mean let, let's just I've, lay it out on the line. There are seven scenes with Roe, and I say they're all great scenes. <laughs> I mean, I guess because she's in them, but I think all those scenes matter very much, both to the story and the theme and the emotions of the episode. They all kind of were a different like type of scene. Also, it wasn't just like oh, and now we've cut back to the same like inter interrogation room or whatever. Yes. There were your walk and talks. There was your 10 forward. There was like the, you know, reveal of her showing up and also her scenes like 
I actually thought that the scenes that was just her and the and the changelings also were like really tense and uh, high drama. Right. And I remember watching this the first time and it's like, oh, they're not going to make Ro a changeling, are they? <laughs> Don't make her a changeling. Uh, but yeah, so you're totally right. The seven scenes. So I wrote, I'm just going to list because like you said, they change in tone in the first beat when they meet her in the hallway, she's accusing him of treason. And then the second scene, they're in the, the conference room and she she's the one that first brings up the idea of there being an imposter. And then in the third scene, that's when they start talking about the son and the and she's probing him being like, why don't you tell me about your son? How come you don't know anything about your son? Because she knows the changelings don't know that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then she she cuts her hand to prove that she's not a changeling. Uh, scene four is when she pulls the gun on Picard and they go into the holodeck. And that's when he's able to point a gun at her. The fifth scene is when she reveals the whole conspiracy. The sixth scene is them in the corridor saying goodbye and she leaves him the earring. But that's when she's like emotional and she's saying all these years, I wish you had known me and that I had known you. Goodbye, Admiral. And then the seventh scene is her on the shuttle and, and Picard is, you know, imploring her to turn around and she dies. So, <laughs> but okay. yeah, every, every one of those scenes, yeah, something else is going on. And her handing over the earring, like, I definitely remember the, I mean, part of me is like, am I filling in the blanks remembering the aesthetic of Ensign Rowe? Or is it just that like a lot of people had a dangly ear cuff in the 90s and I'm just <laughs> pulling that out of my brain? But rewatching that, that final episode where she leaves, the last scene she has with Picard in the original um, series or the original The Next Generation is them like pretending to be a sex worker and client at a bar yes. while she's undercover. And they're doing a little bit of like face nuzzling while, you know, speaking quietly about what, uh, what's about to happen. So then that last scene where she kind of leans towards him and hands the earring over has a similar intimacy. Like it has a, also a similar composition, I thought. Um, and then of course, you know, it has, it drives the plot forward for anyone who's not totally familiar. The very, the penultimate, the episode before all good things episode of next generation is called preemptive strike directed by Patrick Stewart. Oh, and uh, it's about Roland coming on board and she's given one mission and Picard's so proud of her. Like he's so proud. He's like, look at my prize pupil. She's gone off to advanced tactical and now she's back and she's going to go undercover to get the Maquis. You don't know who the Maquis are. They're briefly referenced. They're referenced as an enemy of the Federation. I guess they kind of are. But the Maquis turn in. They're basically a terror group who get their uh, Federation citizens who got caught on the other side of a border after a treaty negotiation. And uh, instead of moving out of their homes or giving them up, they start fighting Cardassians. Uh, and there's a whole conflict. They get their own ships, blah, blah, blah. Chakotay was in it in Voyager. So it's like a whole thing. And she goes off and joins them. So. It's a huge betrayal. I, I like that. I didn't totally. The reason why I kept not connecting it, because I was like, this really feels like it's paralleling Jack's story. And yeah. I remembered very clearly the sex worker scene. And I was like, so calling her his daughter is <laughs> <feels> weird. <laughs> but but also in that scene, they're touching their hand. Their heads are together, but their yeah. hands are their hands are connected. So they are very. So there was something that intimacy anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess the the only other great scene I wanted to to mention is uh, 
when Shaw is so ready for them to be out of his hair. Yes. And (laughs) and he starts listing off like every time that they have brought danger upon themselves only to save the day. And uh, I just thought that was great because it was like, oh, you know that he is obsessed with these guys he hates. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. Yes, you what know, a great we, shade. <laughs> we yes. got it from like him talking about, of course, like how Locutus like killed all his friends, but at the same time, just the fact that he's like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, I've read your, uh, I've read your your bio more than a few times." Like, <laughs> it's not just like you pissed me off today and I'm ready for you to leave. It's definitely been uh, a grudge that's been burning. So that's the scene in the turbo lift right before. And then when they step out, then they meet Roe. But I like both the Shaw scenes. The first scene where Riker gives the captain's log and then Shaw comes in and Riker transfers command back to him. And and Shaw says, you know, hey, Seven, you're going to join these assholes in uh, facing the music. Do you want to do it um, off duty or back on duty? And he he does the knighting ceremony thing mm-hmm. on each shoulder to reinstate her. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he tells them they need to get their bullshit stories together. I like both. I like that mood for him where he's just so happy. He's like, Oh, my problem's about to go away. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I like the last scene at the end after she's died, when Riker goes and puts his hand on Picard's shoulder and he says, I'm sorry. I know what she meant to you. And Picard says, no, Will, I don't think you do. I don't think even I did. Mm. And then they use the earring and Riker says, oh, Scott, this is a data chip. And then they get, they see all of her files and then Worf pops up when he hails. And it's just that connection there, that reunion that, so I like, I like that scene. Um, I, I don't know if it's an objectively great scene, but I liked it. I also, I don't know. I kind of want to get into, it feels like this is not um, a part of language that I'm particularly strong in that you might be really good at <laughs> and for like educating me on, but the whole idea of this is a thing that happens at the end, especially when Picard is apologizing to Roe on the view screen. He's like, I see you. It's only just now. I'm sorry. I guess it's the idea of like seeing someone for who they are. Right. And, and I love the, I love the idea though. I mean, I totally understand. She's like, you only saw what you could mold me into. And because I was doing it, you were, you know, that's, I was meeting your approval, but you didn't see me for who I am. That part I get, I guess it's just the whole seeing thing as a language part of it. What does that do? (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) there's also just like, I mean, and and having now, you know, binge the, the first two seasons and then these first five episodes of season three within the last couple of weeks, I think it just kind of is a bigger question about like, what do we want out of this show or what do the creators want? Like ultimately the goal to be, is it, is it like, well, we loved Picard, but now we need him to learn a lesson. Like, Mm. is that kind of what it is? Because we've seen like season two arc was like, could Picard love, you know, (laughs) season three, I kind of, with this, I kind of have this feeling of like, Oh, this truly is like Jean-Luc Picard, this is your life. And we need to take you through it so that you can like be a centenarian who is finally like reckoning with the past. And like, that's so weird to me because I'm like, I don't think of Jean-Luc Picard as like the, you know, 
okay boomer that needs to like get with the times or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there is this element of just like, oh, maybe maybe I'm skipping ahead to an an of its time quality, but like uh, just because we considered someone a hero or just because we considered something a a great win or a success or like a victory doesn't mean that it was like that for everyone. So maybe that's what's happening or maybe I'm completely reading too much into it. (laughs) I think why all these scenes are great is the actors are at the peak of their powers. You know, even uh, Todd Stashwick in his joy, it's like perfectly calibrated for the moment. And Picard, Patrick Stewart is he's up, he's not tired. You know what I mean? Like he's in it. He's in every scene, every moment when he's saying that Roe broke his heart, like his face, he looks like a heartbroken person, not just like time to be sad. And, you know, and Michelle Forbes always has, she's very good at just getting to, you know, (laughs) I'm angry, (laughs) but she, but she can also be vulnerable and you can see that she's always, she plays, at least she plays Roe as I'm a character that doesn't like to be vulnerable. And you can see her fighting Roe fighting the whole concept of being vulnerable. And I, I love that she, she can jump right back into it, but it seems to me like I only see you just now. It's kind of heartbreaking. It's kind of heartbreaking, but what would to really would have made it devastating instead of Picard saying, I don't think, you know what she meant to me. I'm not sure I really do. It seems like him not, you just said, is he, he's got to learn a lesson. And then we're seeing he doesn't learn a lesson mm-hmm. saying, I don't know. So it seems like in that moment, what he should have said was I held on to this anger and this heartache or whatever betrayal for so long that I ignored everything else. I yeah. missed the the good in this person, this part of, you know, a challenge that rather than exploring it, I turned away from it. You know, I didn't interrogate enough of this and and I missed out. That seems yeah. like what it it should have ended on. Um, that's just to me. So like seeing like I see you is sort of a, you know, we hear that a lot in politics. We see you. We hear you. Yeah. We're not going to do <laughs> shit, but we see you and we hear you <laughs> and we're going to retweet you. But <laughs> <laughs> material change. No, that's not happening. No, no time. Uh, <laughs> all right. Best Trek tropes. Um. So this is like about to be the same thing in my worst Trek tropes, but I loved the way that the holodeck is used as 10 forward in like a, we can kind of accomplish anything we need to with the magic of this room. Um, The way that he has like, he needs a phaser so he can turn the safety measures off and get Guinan's. Um, The, the fact that it just seems like the perfect uh, place for this particular heart to heart even though at the time we don't know it's like about to be much of a heart to heart, they're still not on the same page. It's in this scene that they discover they are. Um, and also like the fact that she, she says like, um, Oh, does this place have thin walls? And he goes, computer music. And I thought like on the one hand, it's like on a show when someone just orders a beer and doesn't specify the type of beer, Um, but then on the other hand, I was like, well, yeah, the holodeck knows what he means. So it plays exactly the right kind of music. Like, why am I thinking about this? But, um, but that to me is best Trek trope of like, well, this is what we need the science to be in this moment. So that's what the science is in this moment. 
Fair enough. Um, Riker gives a captain's log. It's an acting captain's log. Mm -hmm. We got a good one. Um, I'm a fan of captain's logs. I understand why they've gone away from it in the later series, because you don't want your $15 million an episode show to seem like something from the 60s or very formulaic. But at the same time, it's a Trek trope and it it can work when used well. And it was used well here. I like the uh, the. The new ship design, I guess it's a new Trek trope. We get a new starship design, the USS Intrepid. It looked really cool. Uh, One thing about that ship design, it was clearly something that they couldn't have done in the earlier shows because those shows were in the pre-VFX days. You had to, you're green screening, right? You're green screening Mm -hmm. around the ships for the Starfield. So you had to have room in the model for basically a stick to go in to hold mm. the ship up. So you couldn't do these weird curves with not a lot of room to put a stick in there. And right. so it, this design, I think, really took advantage of the VFX. Do you have any more? Because I have like five more. So I don't... No, I have like okay. five worst Trek trips. Okay, great. All right. <laughs> I'll run through mine real quick then. Um, Dr. Crusher doing an autopsy. Always fun. Um, the mobile emitter from Voyager. Good, good use of the mo- mobile emitter mm-hmm. that Rafi has. Uh, speaking in an alien language and being complimented by the native speaker. So, <laughs> yes. so Rose says, yeah, your Bajoran's gotten better, but it's, it's similar to like, you swear well, Picard, <laughs> the Klingon <laughs> stuff. Um, even though they're, uh, this is a good one. Even though they're pointing phasers at each other, what is more Star Trek than Picard and Roe talking through their problems to get mm. to a resolution? That is Star Trek. So I like that. Uh, a good reminder that Vulcans have a powerful sense of smell. Um, the Vulcan gangster says that yeah. smell, Klingon blood makes me sick. Get rid of it. So I like that they remember that. And then I had cutting your hand to prove you're not a changeling. Mm. But why the hand? Why right there on the pole? <laughs> <laughs> they would do it in Deep Space Nine all the time. Like it just seems like a bad place to cut your to cut yourself to uh, get some blood out. Yeah, and, if you can't just regenerate right away. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess if you have like a tissue regenerator next to you, it's no problem. Mm. But And then the last one, mistrust of the transporter. I mm. mean, Roe mistrusts yes. it for some reason. And then Jack's vision of the tendrils snapping out as people are beaming away. Dr. Dr. McCoy was right. The transporters are not to be trusted. No. Should have listened to him 100 years ago. <laughs> all right. Worst Trek tropes. So mine are all like fake outs. And these are all moments to me that did feel like incredibly dated, even though these are probably just like like sci-fi and drama tropes at this point. But just in the same way that, oh, this is what the science, this is the science we need in the moment is like this, this autopsy scene with, well, here's how changelings are now. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's why... That's why we just couldn't apply the same logic we would have applied before we knew this information. Mm -hmm. Um, So that kind of thing, which like, there's almost like a close up on Crusher when she's like, I think it's evolution. And it's like, uh, okay, so it's been like 30 years since we last saw (laughs) Changeling, (laughs) I guess. And um, that's some pretty rapid evolution, Um, but okay. And then the same thing just kind of happened in a few different contexts with these like misdirects or fake outs that I just didn't think were super earned because at no point did I ever really like believe them. So 
One would be when we see Jack like killing everyone on the holodeck. And there's just something, I don't know if it's like the score, but there's something where it's like, yeah, this isn't really happening. Like this is a bad dream. And then immediately it turns out to be a hallucination. Yeah. When Ro is leading Picard to the holodeck and you don't see her for a moment and you hear her go, change of plans, Admiral. And it's like, oh no, she's going to have pulled a phaser on him. I felt like that was just such a tropey line that it's like, would she talk like that? (laughs) (laughs) Or would she just be like, here, I pulled a phaser on you. Like, get over here. I have to talk to you. Like, (laughs) but there was just something kind of DreamWorks poster about it. Um, And then seriously, like this almost bothered me, but how obvious the wharf death fake out is oh yeah oh yeah (laughs) it was just like (laughs) that i think is part of my general like ah our old faves are back like where it was like okay that like obviously (laughs) we didn't just like have wharf show up only to unceremoniously die in this fashion so that moment where i was just like come on on like anybody would know he's using meditation to like hide his to lower his heart heart rate or whatever and even just the fact that like michelle heard rafi had like so little reaction in the moment i was like you gotta sell this a little bit harder <laughs> like That's come true. on yeah yeah so that to me was like a, a series of fake outs but that one was the most egregious uh one thing about that fight that i did like, and I forgot to put in the best trick trope uh, because of the breathing and the the lowered heart rate. He mentions Kalis, and a Klingon mm. mentioning Kalis should have been in best trick tropes. But yes, any other worst trick tropes? No. Okay, um, so I had two in world and two out of world, and that was beaming through the shields after the changelings return to the Titan after they sabotage mm-hmm. Rose shuttle. They find Jack rounding a corner, which was stupid. He's just like walking yeah. around <laughs> and they're like, oh, there he is. <laughs> uh, but then they, they, one of them hits their comm badge and it was like, we found him deck 10 or whatever. And then two more beam in, but that's after the Titan has gone to red alert. Um, and so it was just really weird that the shields that they could beam through the shields. It's just an annoying thing. Like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Why do yeah. they need to beam in? Couldn't they have all just met at the whatever? Um, and then trying to out logic a Vulcan, although you highlighted that the very end of the segment where he's where she's like, have you factored in that the guy holding the knife to your throat is also impatient because he's he's in medical need right now? Like you may not have time to play this out. She works. It's a correct use of logic on Rafi's part, but his whole explanation of. Uh, there can be no utopia without crime, ergo an organized criminal enterprise is logical. I'm like, I don't like when they try to s- make Vulcans make a statement that declares this is logical because right. it's you're walking into a path of, well, is it? <laughs> right. And and it just gets tied in knots. Um, yep. But it, it was used to good effect in that one line where they're like, so you're going to give up the MacGuffin? And he's like, that would be logical. And I was no, like, all right. Yes. But yes, perfect. That was the perfect use of it. I, but it made me think because his whole story, I was this whole storyline 
has been dangerously close to being filler. The the good part is we get certain big plot element out of it. We get the Ra- Rafi and Worf pairing. Raffaella, him calling her Raffaella, oh, it just makes my heart. It just <laughs> makes my heart grow two sizes. It's I love it. Uh, but it's but it, to me, it seems to me he's going on and on about like Sneed, the Frankie who was beheaded. He was my brother, you know, by trade yeah. and, and all that stuff. It's and they we have this whole thing about how like they're now the kings of the under or the the leaders of the underworld. I mean, I guess <laughs> I, I don't know where you could have gone with that story, but it just seems like we had it good and you ruined it would have been an interesting emotional aspect to make it seem like they were actually in a place instead yeah. of in Blade Runner, <laughs> like you said. Exactly. Like it yeah. was a real thing that they had caused to change then maybe you're like justifying all the stuff. I personally think they went through too many characters. Even the fact that when they show up in this town, in this little, you know, uh, red light district and everyone clears out because, oh, these are the people who, you know, usurped uh, Sneed. And it's like, part of that, I was like, I think that's supposed to feel meaningful, but it just feels like, okay, we need to, we need to, clean set like everyone get out of here (laughs) no that's what it felt like yeah that's exactly right (laughs) and then the last one i have is an out of world thing but it's it's a long star trek tradition and that's really obvious slash bad adr so Mm. the so the train i don't know what happened but maybe there was just the sound all got garbled somehow but when jack has his vision of the transporter monsters or whatever he when it ends, there's a transporter tech standing in front of him saying, like, uh, were you ordered to beam onto the Intrepid yet? And he's like, yes, no. The the guy is responding to Jack and the voice doesn't match the face. Yeah. So I don't think that he was like he I don't think he had to redub his lines. I think they just had one of like the post people do it. Right. I, I know I know someone who's had to do that for someone on American Horror Story, one of the <laughs> bigger actors, but she had her voice so close in her impression that <laughs> that everyone signed off, including the actor. They just all were like, that's close enough. But in this one, because it's just a day player, whatever, however his line, whatever happened, his voice sounded weird. The sound, they lost the hard drive crash i don't know the mic was bad whatever they, they just were like all right assistant editor you have a male voice you can yeah. do it but it doesn't work <laughs> it's just weird most of its time quality so first is one that i wrote down and i don't remember the full context of what i wrote down this i guess is supposed when i made this note i was thinking of that kind of the way that you know the show has to kind of weigh in on like the current political landscape a little bit and Picard says the phrase mere facts and I think what I I can't remember the point at which he said that I wrote it down and I was like oh I know he said it like those are mere facts but what we have to deal with is like the emotional truth of what happened Mm -hmm. and to me that just felt a little bit like uh, what is truth? What is reality in the, these days? And like how we have a completely different lexicon around that. I like um, it. That's when she's recounting what happened. I was, yeah. you know, I was with the Maquis and then I turned myself in and uh, I was recruited because I was a terrorist. I was recruited by Star Starfleet intelligence and I worked my way up or my trust back after a lot of grueling uh, tests. And that's when he says those are mere facts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
And then I guess this is this to me is like an of its time quality. I also thought it was amazing, which was um, the fight scene that Jack has with the four changelings in the hallway. It uh, felt yeah. like not a fight scene you I'm used to seeing in the hallway on the starship. You know, a hundred percent. Yeah. Is it so this is what I was trying to figure out is like, is it a John Wick action scene? Is it a Jason Bourne action scene? Uh, there's definitely something that they referenced to do it. There, there was like a, the moment when he kind of bends the guy back and his back cracks or whatever, where I was like, ooh, like that I might have seen in one of the like Chris Pine movies, but not in, not in this. And so yeah. that did feel like suddenly, um, I, I don't know. And I also like, maybe it's Ed Spielers also just the guy who plays Jack, like being feeling he does feel a little out of place to me and it's not because I think he's doing a bad job or maybe it's just part of his like we don't know what his deal is yet at this point in the series um but that just suddenly seemed like oh this is could be a fight scene from just some other movie it just happens to be happening here yeah I think it's one of the better fight choreography that they've both the fights in this episode were better than the ones that they've had in previous seasons of Picard and even like uh discovery. I like that. That's good. Uh, yeah. do you have any more? No. Oh, okay. Referring to Daystrom Institute security system, the Daystrom station security mm. thing as a highly sophisticated AI system. That is a hundred percent 21st century. So yeah. You... And especially like after we've been talking about synthetics and everything for yeah. yes. so many decades in this world, like, it did feel like AI was like talking about old technology to them. Yeah, absolutely. When Worf says we are now the alphas of district six <laughs> referencing anything or people as like the alphas, that's a very human and certainly a very 21st century thing. It just didn't seem like something Worf would say as a Klingon in the 25th century. It just doesn't. Mm hmm. To that point, we talked about this already, Rafi firing her phaser into the air and saying, hey, listen up. I mean, that's something we see all the time. <laughs> but I love that your whole like, that's just like, clear the set. We only have money for this many people. <laughs> no, right. no background <laughs> for this. <laughs> right. Like there wouldn't have been a little bit more drama if they fought and knocked over a vendor's table and she had to like run and scream and get out of the way like that. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, the more the more classic Star Trek thing, if you wanted to make it bigger, is they both get knocked unconscious. And when they awaken, they're in like an arena and there's there's mm. like there's like people gambling around them. P Picard's line. Oh, I've been rehearsing this conversation for 30 years. That's like out of our Lifetime movie, isn't it? We're like out of a yeah. soap opera. <laughs> Rose says, I even tried to open an investigation, but was denied. I went to the media I'm like, okay, all right, Alex Jones, what's going on here? <laughs> like, the 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 problem with a, all of the Star Trek Picard seasons is that there's a lot of like, there was an investigation, they closed the investigation. Uh, the, I, we're going to the press, we're going to the media, and to me, that's just the mark of hacky writing. It's like we yeah. need genetic or generic uh, paranoia filler jargon in here to shortcut the emotion. And I don't know, I thought I thought Roe was better than that. Ro hmm. was, she tried to open an investigation and was denied. Eh, I don't know about that. How about like Ro saying like, uh, they think I'm investigating this, but I've been investigating this. Like that seems well, there, like something Ro would do. There's something about the whole like chain of command with these like 
handlers, I think, that also feels like part of this of its time quality, where it's like, oh, well, I don't know who my handler is. And he doesn't know who his handler is. <laughs> and right. this is probably even coming from someone even further up the chain. And like, you know, um, obviously, Futurama taught us that bureaucracy will not uh, be gone oh, yeah. in the utopian <laughs> future. But, um, <laughs> but it does just kind of feel like another way of just passing the buck to a later like beat of the screenplay. I also think going to the media as a crutch that Picard has relied on in at least two of its three seasons is, is sad. I just mm-hmm. don't, there's just something that's not quite Star Trek about it for some reason, uh, that truth should be self-evident to people in Starfleet. And even if Starfleet has been infiltrated, it seems like, you could whip up a critical mass and and then people could die for their convictions or beliefs. I don't know. It just, yeah. it just always sounds so weird. Goes to the media. We still call it the media, the press <laughs> in right. 25th century. I don't know. And then Jack's closing line. I think there's something very wrong with me when Beverly's mm. like, how did you know they were all changelings? Cause he didn't. He just, he yeah, just, like, nah, I, just <laughs> I just killed him. I, I think, just thought I could kill him. I think him being the, the emo sad boy, but can kill. And then saying there's something really wrong with me. There's just something very of its time about it. Yeah. Uh, that's it. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. <laughs> I feel like you're going to be mad at me that I like struggled to think of lines in this episode that I was like, oh, damn, let's that interrogate good. that cat. Why would I be mad at you? You're a guest on this show. <laughs> because, Anything because you have to offer, I'm appreciative of. Your best friend, Ro Laren, showed up. And now I have no great row lines in here. I just um, enjoyed I... seeing her again. I enjoyed Michelle Forbes portraying her. But all she was doing was dumping exposition on us. Yeah, I think that the the great lines were kind of toss away lines in this episode. Uh, obviously, the setup and then follow through where Shaw is listing everything that uh, Picard and Riker have done wrong. And they say those were the days. <laughs> um, so that's what is it? Those were. Yeah, those were the days. Um, that was just a great little like button to that, uh, scene. And, uh, this, the other lines where I'm like, these are really funny, but they were like bad lines as they were happening, which both had to do again with Rafi and the Vulcan. <laughs> Ye old fight to the death. How original. Yeah. I was just like, who are you? Like, who <laughs> says that? What does ye old mean in this era? Like, <laughs> you know, there was just something. It's first about... draft dialogue. You're just trying to exactly. get through the scene. And like, we need a little punch here. Yeah. Yeah. And then again, everything in that Vulcan line, we, you already mentioned his, uh, there can be no utopia without crime or go and organized criminal enterprises logical. That doesn't make any sense, but it was well delivered. <laughs> so <laughs> good job, Kirk Acevedo for that. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, nothing really like jumped out to me. Probably just those were the days was like the most, you know, kind of fist pump moment for me. Rafi, when she and Worf are training and then they get into an argument when they get denied to go to Daystrom, she's pouting and whatever and says, you have no idea what I've been through. And then Worf throws the blade and it lands at her feet. And she says, can you not put holes in my floor every time you need to make a point? 
<laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, Shaw's line that leads to the those were the days is, or they might remember that time someone hot dropped the saucer section of the Enterprise D on a planet, or that time that someone threw the prime directive out the window so they could snog a villager on Baku, or the time that you boys nearly wiped out all of humanity by creating a time paradox in the Devron system. So I think that was a great line, if only because it introduced the idea of hot dropping the saucer section of the Enterprise T. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> Do but, you think they refer to it as the saucer section? A hundred percent. They refer to it as the saucer in Encounter at Firepoint. As ah, it, it's okay. saucer and star drive right right off the bat um but i do i'm throwing a flag on shaw's accuracy there uh when he says that that time someone threw the prime directive out the window so they could snog a villager on baku it was established that the baku villagers were not eligible for prime directive since mm. they relocated there and it was not their native world so that is uh, Shaw. Shaw was uh, rushing through facts to get to his joke, and he missed. Got, <laughs> got him. That should be stricken for the record. That's right. I got his ass. That's right. <laughs> uh, Worf's line: "I have mastered the Kalis technique of regulating my heart rate to nearly imperceptible." Let us skip to the interrogation. Just the fact that he has to stop him. He can't talk anymore. He's losing blood. He says, "I'm in desperate need of medical attention." I don't think Worf, a Klingon warrior, would would mention that. I mean, it was a funny line and that's why I'm, I'm leaving it in there. It's not yeah. him saying I've mastered the Kalis technique of regulating my heart rate would have been the line. And then as he's struggling, Raffi could have been talking and then she could have stopped and said, are you sure you're all right, Worf? <laughs> and he yeah. could have just said, let <laughs> us finish this. You know, he could have done that. Uh, but the self is a softer. Yes. Senior war. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And then I did put it down, even though I, I wondered if it makes till if it's great. I think it's a great line because of how Patrick Stewart delivers it. And it is not the you broke my heart line, which I should have put in the of its time quality. I just don't think people admit that, except if you're writing something. Mm. But Ro, I do see you. Everything. Forgive me. It's only now. I like that line. I thought it was a great line because it's the only now part because it's like, that's not going to do it, old man. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's in this moment of desperation. And then after the shuttle crashes into the nacelle, which Ro going out like a badass, great, made me very happy. But he collapses in the chair and head in his hands. And I think you needed all of the dialogue, the good and the bad. Because if it's, I don't know, maybe it didn't res register to you at all, but I think that was all there. So like if you didn't live with that relationship for 30 years or whatever, you had to understand that this was an incredibly big moment, a big loss right. for Picard. So I think that line coupled with the image really sold that. Yeah. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. So I I did listen to your your episode about the uh, season premiere just came out at this time of recording and uh, you already gave the award to the actor who plays Shaw but he's in what two and a half scenes steals him <laughs> right steals it <laughs> like uh, yeah I just think he is so he's such like a a rich character for how little we need him to be like he really doesn't need to be as um compelling as he is and it's because he's i think just such a good actor like to be a comedic actor but who's just playing a dick is really 
uh, not something I think you see all the time. So he, um, yeah, he got it. He got it for me. I, I think that everyone else, and this, this probably is also grading on a curve because it's like, yes, obviously Michael Dorn, obviously Patrick Stewart, like we know we're getting great work out of them. Yeah. So maybe just my expectations are like, oh, look at this guy. Like the fact that he's the one I'm remembering in the scenes that he's in, but open to uh, open to other thoughts. I well, I'm not going to disagree with my guests. I'm just going to simply offer up. I mean, I think everyone listening probably thinks if I've said that I'm still tingling after this episode <laughs> of seeing Ro Laren, one of my favorite Star Trek characters of all time, I don't know, top 25, but like definitely one I think about and I'm always happy to think about. I still wouldn't put her up for this. I'm, I was putting up Patrick Stewart in my mind because mm. at least on this rewatch, I don't know, you binged the first two seasons of Picard and I think from the Star Trek Next Generation movies and the first two seasons of Picard, that character has fully gone over into being like it's Patrick Stewart and he's less Picard from the TV show, more Patrick Stewart. And I'm admitting I've been unfair with like how old he is now and seems and like it's not the same character, obviously. Mm -hmm. But at least because I rewatched this obviously a couple times before we recorded I don't know. I think he hit all the emotional moments. I already mentioned in the bar when he says you broke my heart. He I felt it like I could see it on his face. It was a different curve, a different look than he's given when he's angry. He's angry. He's very present. This whole season, really, I think there are times in seasons one and two where it's like they didn't know what they were doing or what a scene was about. And so it's like Patrick Stewart just kind of throwing anything out there and hoping that it all will make sense in the edit. At least in season three, it feels a lot like he's in it. Like it's clear what everything's about and he's playing to that. So I wanted to give it to him because in my mind, I've already parted ways with Todd Stashwick because he really is kind of more of the Anya from Buffy the rest of the season Mm. after episode one (laughs) in my mind, as much as I love Anya, she's probably my favorite Buffy character, but at the end of the day, yeah, let's go with him. That's, that's fair. He does steal it in his brief scenes. So I think that's fair. Patrick Patrick Stewart Stewart. does also he, in this episode, he brings a little bit of the fun, uh, just in little moments. Like when he is reaching under the bar and he, she's like hands above the bar he brings these two glasses up and he goes, oh, sure, just top shelf liquor then. Yep. And like, you know, that is a moment, I think, of some classic Picard of just like, you know, I'm I'm ready to, to put, a, put a joke in the mix or, or just like be a little bit cheeky and uh, and that he is, it doesn't feel weird coming from like this older man. And when he was, look, he gives Seven the assignment of hiding Jack and her idea to hide him in plain sight is a little silly, but whatever, but like him just dealing with Jack and reacting to Jack's like Starfleet. You haven't been paying attention. Yeah. He was, he was being vulnerable. Like he was sort of processing that you could see it. So that yeah. at least this time around, so watching it the fifth time or whatever, like Patrick Stewart really stuck out, but you you are the guest. And I, I like your Stashwick comment. I mean, he, people love him. So, I mean, this is not like some controversial statement. So, okay. The Shatner. Now, this award goes to somebody who's really committed to a decision. Is that right? I think that's the that's the fairest way of saying it. Yeah, for sure. That's right. Okay. 
I like so that. The, that I, might be the new definition. Yes. <laughs> it's just like they've really committed, whether it's to a, like a, a line delivery or to a, I'm giving this week's a grade for the Shatner to whoever's the, the hair and makeup supervisor that's deciding on these wigs. <laughs> Go deeper. Say <laughs> <Pay> more. <laughs> So we've got three hairdos uh, in question uh, here. <laughs> one is Rolaren, one is Worf. Uh, okay, like three, those are two, and then two half, half uh, maybe hair pieces, which is Raffi has got the longest like extensions in her ponytail. And I, I was almost like distracted by it. I don't know why, because <laughs> she's adorable. I love the way that she looks. But there was just like moments where she's doing the fight choreography where I was like, oh, the hair is like a prop. Like it's supposed to be flipping around like she's about to use it to like choke him or something. And then similarly, like there is something I think that this is uh, I, I'm not actually sure if this is Gates McFadden's hair or if this is uh, accentuated, like it might be her hair with like a fall or something in it. But I have to say like there's something that looks like somebody made a decision. What does Beverly Crusher look like today? And it's weird because I know that that's what Gates McFadden's hair is like. She has like a lovely, you know, kind of salt and pepper hairdo, but it's almost like it just looks a little bit costumey in these scenes for some reason. And maybe that was really shady of me to see, to say, so I'm just going to take it right back to the obvious wigs on Michelle Forbes and on Michael Dorn, which it's like, it's just such like, I am desperate to know more about the decision-making process where they were like, all right, it's been 30 years. How do we sort of believably age these characters up, but keep them like, we're not just going to let the actors, like they're, the actors aren't just going to be standing there. I mean, obviously... <laughs> They, they aren't just going to give us Michael Dorn's bald head and put like a goatee on him or something. Um, so it is just, uh, it was something that felt like a caricature for both of them, I think, in this like current iteration. Like, though, especially with Ro and like looking back to see how she, the wig she wore in the earlier uh, iteration of this character, it's like, oh, so does her does, does her culture just like keep this exact severe hairstyle for <laughs> the rest of their lives like no, they all have really different changes? yeah they all had human style hair in deep space nine and and all that yeah yeah this is so funny that you're mentioning that because this is i think this is my dudeness kicking in it really <laughs> i'm not i'm telling you right now i'm now watching old next generation and finally now as a dude in his forties realizing like, Oh, that's not all counselor Troy's hair. <laughs> <laughs> right. So my awareness of wigs was never, <laughs> I, I'm never on it, but yes, Michelle. I mean, Forbes for sure. <laughs> but you can't like wigs are very important to star Trek. First of all, <laughs> I think about, um, um, Oh gosh, her name just fell out of my head. The original series, uh, nurse, Nigel Barrett, Christine Chapel. Yeah, no, well, in the original yeah. series, of course, yes. <laughs> Where then? There, I mean, she's got these incredible hairdos and, you know, they have to try to, like, pull it back in, uh, or, or, you know, bring it back into, like, Strange New Worlds a little bit. But there's, like, 
just something where some of these characters get to just look like people. And then when we have characters who are different species, it's like, oh, you know, we, we can't just have like a little bit of the wrinkle on the nose. Like we also have to have them look like a member of Team Rocket, I guess. <laughs> so like, <laughs> it's just, there's just something where I'm like, why, why is the choice made to go so cartoony with the wig? Well, in the case of Worf... They made the choice. Yes. And they stuck with it. <laughs> I like it. Though that's a great one. Well, at least with the Worf one, the thinking was that he's like a a samurai or a shogun. He's walking. It's like a yeah. kung fu situation. He's walking the land. So that was all very intentional. The the row one is is exactly your point. It's like this, but more. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and, I, and like she can't have like a little bit of gray in the temples or something. You know, it just has to be like jet black. Like there was uh, weird. It was weird. <laughs> yeah. I, I, but at the same time, there is some element of like, oh, she is definitely still row. <laughs> this is yeah. how much she's row. But I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, that is an awfully black wig. Yeah. It is awfully dark. Uh, good good call there. Which part of this <laughs> incident or episode will they be teaching at Starfleet Academy, do you think? Um, I'm going from Riker's line when he identifies that Rose Earring is, quote, old school spycraft. <laughs> and so it's not necessarily this incident, like they might use it as like figure one in a, in a, a textbook or whatever the, the future version of textbooks are. But like there must be a Langley division of Starfleet Academy where they do the like, if you're caught without all of our modern tech, here's how you would use the old skills to get by. Yeah. Um, and so I thought that was like a moment of something deceptively low tech being used in this context. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think they're teaching this at Starfleet Academy because Starfleet Academy is gone after this. I assume because all of Starfleet has to be torn down. You can't, you have to break down the oppressive <laughs> broken system <laughs> but you know we'll see um ask me again at the end of the season i should have probably flagged spycraft of an of it as an of its time quality not that it's not yeah. a phrase that's existed before but the hijacking of it into pop culture uh to use in spy shows and spy episodes of things probably fits but i like it it, it didn't take me out you know what i mean like it works here and especially it's it, it would be an old term of art right for an old practice i think that works well, perfectly well what's the word they use like they don't uh do they say like intelligence like i'm a, I'm a member of the intelligence team they yeah she's in else. starfleet intelligence intelligence she's yeah, in starfleet, yeah yeah it does seem like there would be different there would just be different terminology especially thinking like uh, it does feel a little, I don't know, it feels very 20th century to be like 20th, 21st century to be like, oh, she left because she joined this terrorist group. And now she's like, <laughs> like, I just don't think they would necessarily have talked, would talk about it like that. But it's a little yeah, tricky because they were Star Trek Next Generation was using terrorism before everyone started saying terrorism all the time. So terror groups were terror true, groups. True. So it just gets tricky. But and also certain yeah. terms do persist through time. I mean, that that's fair. But um, so I had what it means when a ship is under security review. 
Because Roe comes mm. on board and says the Titan is under security review. And and so to that end, what I'm getting at is the 80-yard guy that I referenced before, the transporter <laughs> guy, he shouldn't be asking an ensign because that's what Jack's posing as. Where mm-hmm. he's supposed to be going or where he thought, think he should be, it, the ship's under security review. Dude should be saying, like, you either need to beam out or go back to your quarters. Right. Like, so I think knowing the procedures of what a security review is yeah. will be taught at Starfleet Academy. I guess similarly, like another discovery is like whatever the hell we're learning about um, autopsy of changelings here. Like, <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> the way that she says, oh, they only, um, you know, their molecular structure only dissolves under severe autopsy or something like she says something and she just like chops an organ into a bunch of little pieces <laughs> yeah like, yeah you got to find a scientific way to say well i cut it up a bunch and then it finally melted into goo yeah you got to dig deep to get to the to get to the water it's deep underground <laughs> yeah <laughs> the clay part is deep yeah <laughs> uh so for this season of star trek for star trek picard season three we are asking instead of how would the predecessor show deal with the conflict in the episode we're asking because picard mentions his memoir in the first episode of the season what part of this episode is picard embellishing in or omitting from entirely his memoir i think he just is going to have a very different perspective on how much or little his authority was respected by others (laughs) so I think that there is like this this part where Shaw's like, I've already called Starfleet and they are coming here and you are going to face the music. And yeah, you can get your bullshit story straight, but finally, like your time is up. I feel like the way he would retell that was we were poised to give our report and insights on the situation that had happened. So Starfleet was called in so that we could do so. Like, I think he would just have a different perspective on it. I totally have um, the same thing I said. I think he will take out Shaw's joy over their potential ruination. <laughs> yeah. The Bolo scene never happens. <laughs> there's no we were going to be court-martialed. He was just like, oh, no, we we deigned to uh, <laughs> to give our expertise on the matter. Yeah. Um, and not because he's a, you know, a D-bag, just because it's irrelevant to the story. Uh, we we knew we had a lot to answer for, but we also had a lot of answers to provide. So <laughs> something Picard-esque and artful. Um, I did have one other one. Uh, yeah. It's more of a question to you. I have an answer, but I'm going to ask you first. Do you think Picard would change any of the Rose stuff or would he play it honestly? In the mm. Like write it honestly? I think he would write it honestly. I think that the lesson that he's on his way to learning that you do have to kind of see that, that everyone's path, like everyone can't follow the same path. I think it's going to be like a very important kind of conclusion of this character. You know, by the time anyone's hearing this, maybe I've been proved wrong by the rest of the season, but um, he, I think that that's going to be kind of key in like looking back at how we thought we were, you know, at, at times we thought we were helping people or at times we thought we were saving the day, but sometimes those stories were not um, heroic tales to other people. So I could see that being like a strong lesson learned that he decides he wants to share at the end of all of this. 
I'm not kidding. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. There's, he has a, he learned something from this experience and he's going to play it honestly. Also, it doesn't make him look bad because even in the stuff that does make him look bad, he then gets to in his memoir, write about, and Ro taught me this. And, yeah. or I suspected this and she made it clear. Um, and obviously she did this and in her anger towards me, I could see that she knew that she hurt me too at this. You know what I mean? Like it, you could just see him playing in a way where it's like everybody wins in, in this and portrayal. And even though I had, I had just met my son for the first time, I realized I was truly space daddy all along. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Trek, marry or kill imposters i mean trek is that just kind of our middle is that the middle option that is our middle and it is what the bulk of star trek episodes i think wind up being it's like 30 percent are great 40 percent are good and 30 percent hey there's still star trek so i think that's yeah trek i agree it's my favorite episode of the season so far really yeah wow and still it only warrants a trek from you <laughs> I I have expectations that we're going to get like I know there's going to be more here I know there's going to be like there have been even a couple of moments where I was like oh we're almost having like a deep emotional uh revelation here for Picard like when he talks about the the fear of losing a child in an episode or two prior but it doesn't really go there like it doesn't go far enough and I was like I have faith. I think this show is going to bring me there. It just hasn't yet. Wait, so your boy Riker bearing his soul to his old captain did not reach the level of emotional or genuine emotion. It, it No, it definitely reached the level of genuine emotion. In fact, even so, because the character holds back a little bit. So like, I think in the way that you said about Ro, she had this characterization where she was not wanting to be vulnerable. And so you could see that kind of struggle on her face. I think there have been, like, Riker's had a moment. I think Picard's had a moment. I think even Rafi's had, like, a moment this season where it's like they are just trying to bear it a little bit. And I am really hoping for, like, a big catharsis I think for some of these characters like I think there's still just a little bit um I want fucking tears man <laughs> <laughs> well I can't wait to hear your thoughts when you get to the end that uh, I'm yeah. very curious to know what you think all right well do you have anything you want to plug Kat yeah so I uh do this show called Feminist Frequency Radio and I think at the time you'll be listening to this, we'll just have concluded a limited series that we were doing called Machos Fully Loaded, which is a look at a feminist look at masculinity in movies and television. So all of our episodes are about different types of machos, like teen machos or machos on the verge of a nervous breakdown and kind of looking at the uh, ways we see and idealize masculinity on screen I did want to do an episode called Machos in Space, but we didn't, <laughs> we didn't get to that one. But if you are interested in kind of like gender and how we look at uh, masculinity and femininity and what that means, I think it's been a really fun season, actually, just kind of going through uh, occasionally how why can't every man on screen be Patrick Swayze? 
it's kind of like the theme of the of the season but um yeah so you can check that out at feminist frequency radio uh wherever you get your podcasts jack crusher could fit into the anxiety one oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh but now you just made me realize man if if uh, jack crusher was more like uh, patrick swayze in roadhouse that'd be awesome so. Oh my gosh! I mean, re- you know, reading. <laughs> You're uh, the best poetry. cooler in the sector. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they only turn to goo when you tear their, their throat out. <laughs> <laughs> You're a chain smoking badass. <laughs> <laughs> Pain don't hurt. That's <laughs> and then Sam Elliott's there for for reasons, which is great. For reasons. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Don't forget, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you get a chance, leave us a review if you have the time. If you are curious to know our standings uh, for Treks, Marys, and Kills, see if our 30-40-30 balance is actually happening. Check it out on trekmarykillpod.com. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. Until then, TMKO. TMKO.